beautiful picture. So who is this Joseph that we read about there at the end of Genesis chapters 37 through 50? I believe what we see in Joseph is a type of Christ, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. In other words, his life and actions provide a picture of what Jesus, the Christ, was to do, what he was going to come and do centuries later, not only preserving life, but giving life. And so as we read through the book of Genesis, what we see is that the subject of this book is life. The subject is life. It's what it's all about. The giving and the preservation of life provides this thesis of what this book is seeking to communicate. For instance, the first two chapters reveal how life began. Chapter 3 describes how life was lost through rebellion and sin. Death there entered into Eden and subsequently entered into the historical timeline. Thankfully, the story doesn't end in chapter 3. It doesn't end with man's rebellion against God. It doesn't end with their being cursed with death and all of those things. There in the final verses of chapter 3, all the way through the end of the book, we see the portrayal of God's redemptive work to give and to preserve life even in the face of death. And so what it does is it tells us about God's commitment to life. We as God's people, if we are to be committed to something in this world, we must be committed to life. Why is God so committed to life? I want you to think about that. Is there something special about life? I think the answer to that question is pretty simple. Uh, there must be something special about life because every creature is intent on preserving life. Every creature is intent on preserving life. Uh, if you were to go out and, and find some insects somewhere and you started messing around with those insects, what are they going to do? You're going to see that they're going to begin to scatter from the things that they feel like are dangerous to them. Every creature does that. But if you corner that creature, whether it's an insect or an animal or a human being, if you corner and threaten that creature's life and there's no other option, what will that creature do? They will fight in order to preserve life. It's pretty simple. Nature itself teaches us this, that there's something special about life. And so we see this commitment to life among the creatures. We see it among humanity. Living creatures desire to live. And even more important, what we see in the Bible is that God desires for creatures to live. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 both these chapters articulate how God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the book begins here with, in the beginning, God. And so God is the author, the, 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 the beginning of all of life. He is eternal, and he's created all that there is. In fact, all that there is did come from God's creative hand. It came from his creative voice. He spoke and things came into existence. He fashioned the planets and the stars, the plains and the mountains, the seas and the rivers, the animals and the insects. God brought life into the nothingness that existed. And atop of all of that creation, what did he create? You and I. Humanity is the apex of God's creation. So there in Genesis chapter 1, where you've got your finger, look at verse 26 and let's read through verse 28. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, this morning, as we look into your word, as we talk about this subject of life, we pray that you would give us a heart like you have. God, that we would love others, that we would love life, that we would protect life, that we would do everything we can to preserve life in this world. Because, Lord, you are seeking not just to give, but to preserve. And we thank you for that. Lord, teach us, grow us, develop us from your word this morning, and help us to be a voice, even in our day, for those whose lives are in a dangerous and precarious situation, even those who are unborn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we read through the first three chapters, and if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, you've done this in just the last couple weeks. What we see in the first three chapters is that the Bible provides much of what we need to know about the value of human life. It's, It's amazing that as God's Word sets out, this very beginning book, Genesis, talks to us about life because that's what it's all about. These chapters reveal who we are. They reveal from where we came, and they reveal all that is wrong with us. And so if you're wondering this morning, man, in this 21st year of this century, I'm pretty messed up. What is wrong with me? Turn to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you will discover what that is. You find here that life is found within humanity, and it comes because God is the one who birthed it into existence. He breathed some of his own breath into humanity. You know, this past summer as we were talking about the issues kind of facing our day, I was in that Faith and Culture series, and we began looking at the subject of life. Then we talked about various things, but I said there throughout that series that if we get Genesis wrong, we will get life wrong. Our view of life will be messed up. So today on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, I want us to look at this the subject of life and see what the Bible has to say about the preciousness and the sacredness of human life. It's sacred and it's precious from the womb to the grave and everywhere in between. So I want us to look at life, the sanctity of humanity. And four things I want to share with us this morning about this sacredness or about this sanctity of human life. First thing I want you to see coming out of these verses this morning is that sanctity is found in the special design and creation of humanity. In the special design and creation of humanity. You know, secular thought today, uh, I learned it as a a kid in public school. You probably learned it as well. I know our kids today are learning this stuff in public schools and secular schools. But secular thought today would tell us and lead us to believe that humanity, that life has evolved from single-celled organisms over billions of years. Uh, But on the contrary, as we look at the Bible, as you look at even the first two chapters here, you see that the Bible instructs that humanity was created not over billions of years and random chance things coming into play, but instead purposely and intentionally God creating humanity in one day. Adam and Eve, like the rest of creation, were formed by the creative hand of God. They're not accidents. They're not collisions of molecules. They're not some sort of result of natural selection. But instead, humans are the recipients of divine intervention. 
That ought to be good news for us this morning. That I am not a mistake. That you're not a mistake. That our children are not mistakes. But instead, we are the special, creative design of God, which adds value to us, gives us value. Where would my value be if it doesn't come from my creator? If it's in anything else, it means I have to perpetuate that value. It means I have to find that value. It means I need to continue to work for that, which is like a dog chasing its tail. You never can arrive and be confident in the value you have. And so the first and focal point of biblical teaching concerning the creation of humans is this fact of divine creation. God didn't start off his word, his word here in the very beginning, this book of Genesis, saying, we're not really sure where you came from, but we love you anyway. But instead, what God says is, I was there, and I spoke, and you came into existence. You read chapter 2, and you see that God took the dust of earth, and he forms it. The language would lend us to believe that it's not just kind of throwing some stuff together, but it's like a potter taking the clay and shaping it and forming it into a special, wonderful, lovely creation. God is the creator. Fifteen different times throughout the Bible, we see God being spoken of as the one who makes human beings. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Genesis 2-7, as I just mentioned, is that word that where it talks about how God forms us from the dust. It has that beautiful picture of a potter working with clay. I'm not much of an artisan. I'm not much of an artistic type of guy. I remember in ninth grade, eighth or ninth grade, I think, maybe eighth grade, being in art class, and we were to take that clay, throw it on that wheel, and, and it was to spin, and we're supposed to form it up and make something beautiful for our mom. You probably made something like this as well. You kind of form it, fashion it, you glaze it, you stick it in the oven, you take it home to your mom, you're like, here, mom, here it is. It's wonderful. It's for you. And like all of us parents, we look at it and think, that's awesome, son. That's great. And then about 20 years later, if you go home, you find it in the trash. Your mom's not even keeping it around. Why? Because it's not as great as what God did for us. He fashioned us beautifully and wonderfully. So the Bible teaches us that we are created by God. Therefore, no one is an accident. Think about it. We didn't rise up by chance from sort of some sort of slimy ooze. No, our origin is seated in God. And so sanctity is found in the intrinsic, eternal value given because we are created by God. Secondly, sanctity is found in the male and femaleness of humanity. The male and femaleness of humanity. Humanity. And we talk about sexuality and we talk about gender. There's no getting around it. It is under attack in our culture today. Uh, there's such confusion, which makes no sense to me personally, how we can be confused over gender. You're either one or the other, right? I mean, there's no gray ground there when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality. Genesis 1.27 tells us here that God made them male and female. 
So despite the clear biblical description of gender that we see right here in Genesis 1:27, despite the historically universal position that humanity has had since the very beginning on gender, and despite the obvious anatomical nature of gender, what our Congress has done recently in establishing in this new Congress rules for gender-inclusive language is nothing under than nonsensical, illogical, and sinful. I want you to listen to how these rules are laid out in the House Resolution. I'm going to read from them. In Clause 8C3 of Rule 23, strike. Father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, stepfather, stepmother, stepson, stepdaughter, stepbrother, stepsister, half-brother, half-sister, grandson or granddaughter. And insert parent, child, sibling, parent, sibling, first cousin, sibling's child, spouse, parent-in-law, child-in-law, sibling-in-law, step-parent, step-child, step-sibling, half-sibling, or grandchild. Now, I heard this morning one of our guys comment on this, not knowing I was going to read this, telling me that in lieu of these new gender-inclusive pronouns that he would add idiot and moron. I think those were the two. I'm not going to identify the name, nor am I endorsing this, but I thought it's pretty, pretty close. The gender-inclusive movement is more than just moronic and idiotic. It's dangerous and problematic. Listen to what Dr. Al Mohler, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says in his briefing this past week. He gives some insight. He says, when it comes to human beings, it's about defining the human person and the new radical ideal of personal autonomy. Let me, when it comes to human beings, it's about defining the human person and the new radical ideal of personal autonomy has now suggested to many sec- modern secular Americans that they can define themselves. Sadly, there are even many Christians who are showing themselves completely confused about this issue. They tend to agree with the moral revolutionaries. Just give them the language they demand, say these. But the reality is, if you give the language, you are redefining the reality. Now, you're not changing the reality because the Creator actually establishes that reality. A male is still a male, a female is still a female. A two X and, or an XX and an XY chromosomes don't change, even as an individual may legally demand to change pronouns. But this is where Christians also have to understand that complicity with this kind of intentional confusion will also be an action that comes with consequences. And a dangerous consequence... Uh, of this new reality is that humans lose the sanctity of gender. I think that's what Dr. Mueller is moving toward in, in his statement about this, is that we're losing the sanctity of gender. You see, as we seek to understand and engage the culture, we must begin, we must remain where Scripture is. we got to stay in that lane of what God has already sovereignly declared. And His Word makes it clear that He does not make mistakes, Right? He doesn't make mistakes. And and so in our creation, there is male and female. Scripture also makes it clear that God is good 
and that what he creates is good. In fact, on the creation of humanity, he not only declares over day six, it is good, like day one through five. Instead, now he's saying this is very good. It's not a mistake. Adam was a man intentionally created by God. Eve comes from Adam, and she's an intentional woman, masculine and feminine, coming together in these two first human beings to do what God had intended for them to do. As a result of all of this, what God has created, what he declares over his creation, we see that the life of every human being, male and female, is valuable because he and she is created in the image of God. So when we begin to play around with these pronouns and this gender confusion stuff, what we are doing is we are actually tearing down part of our own value system. God didn't make a mistake when it came to us being male or female. So with that, uh, some would begin to argue, well, the, 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 the male has always been the domineering, the, there's a patriarchal system, or maybe the vice versa on some limited areas or limited times where there's a matriarchal thing. But here is what we see in scripture is that gender is not more valuable or one gender is not more valuable than the other. In fact, what we see in the creation count here is that both complement one another. Both have equal value, but not equal roles as the Bible describes. Perhaps this is best seen in the command to procreate. Neither a man nor a woman can fulfill this command to multiply on their own. And yet that's what God says in verse 28 after he says he made them male and female. Two men can't procreate. Two women can't procreate. It takes a man and a woman. And over all that, God declares this is very good. Adam, as we know, as we read chapter 2, sometimes you may wonder, why is chapter 1 and chapter 2 so different? But what we're happening in chapter 1 is you're given the 30,000 viewpoint of what's taking place in those six days. And then in chapter 2, what we're seeing is a, a real life, on-the-ground glimpse of what's taking place literally on day 6 in the creation of the animals and Adam and how they're created. And he's naming them. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this goodness, there's something that's not good. And what's not good in that creation day of day six is that Adam discovers he's alone. He needs somebody. You say, well, he's got God. Well, that was not necessarily all that God intended for him. He needed a helper. The two lions had their mates. The, the giraffes had theirs. The white-tailed deer had theirs. Everything in creation has something to complement it except for Adam. Surgery happens, out comes from Adam's rib, this woman called Eve, and that's today. The pastor joke is that's why we say, whoa, man, because he looked up from that, that kind of anesthesia type of fog and he's coming out of, and he sees Eve, and she's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen in his life outside of God himself. He's overwhelmed, overcome by her beauty and her complementarian aspect that she brings to his life. And they are naked and unashamed. The first marriage takes place. Children follow up after that. Everything is beautiful. Why? Because man and woman were made for each other. Both have distinctions, but their distinctions complement the other. This complementary understanding of gender affects everything of our life, even our sexuality. And so what we see in this is that God is good. He does not make mistakes. Therefore, as we seek to understand life, we recognize his design for gender, his design for sexuality, all of these things. 
We see that sanctity is found in this intrinsic and eternal value of men and women, both possessing their own distinctiveness, both being made in the image of God. There's a second thing I want you to see about the sanctity of life. And that is sanctity is found in the stewardship given to humanity. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 tells us that these ones that he's to create are going to have dominion over the fish and over the birds and over the livestock and everything that's on the earth. He says in verse 28 that they're to have dominion over all of these things. So it's reiterated this command and this intention. You see, in the creation count here, Genesis 1 is deliberately structured to reach its apex with humanity. We see in this change from the repeated phrase of let there be to the special phrase of let us make, verse 26. It's interesting that only humanity is created with special deliberation within the Trinity and with special design. What does the special design mean? Well, it tells us in verse 26 that they're made in the image and the likeness. We talked about this this past summer, how the, the, the image of God speaks of this concrete term coupled with this, this uh, other term of likeness. In other words, man carries the image of God and the likeness. He's like God, but he's not God. There's something divine in man, but he's not divine. Does that make sense? That there's something different about us that sets us apart of all the rest of creation, and yet we're not yet, or we're not the creator, but we are like the creator. So what does that look like in our daily lives? Well, he's told here to have dominion, to rule, to steward. That's the idea. And so as God's image bearers, as those who are the likeness of God, we're to reflect the divine sovereignty of God in God's creation, stewarding it, managing it, ruling it on behalf of God. We're to reflect God in the work we do. Is created, man is created to have dominion over all of the earth, to be that steward, to be that caretaker. So as the image bearer in creation, this is a fitting role. Humans alone possess the creativity, the energy, and the authority to do such a thing. What other aspect of creation can do what we can do? I know you guys love your dogs. Some of you love your cats. And as sweet and wonderful and loving and gracious, I mean, they're always happy when you come home. You could have the worst day walk home, and that dog meets you at the door, wagging its tail, just excited that you're home. Your cat kind of looks at you and muffs and goes the other way, because that's what cats are. They're evil. (laughs) Right? I remember just a couple months ago going over to, to, to Kyle, Christina's house, Eckhoff's, and I was playing with, like, I like to rough house with cats, but that cat, cat is like a tiger. I mean, I went home with scratches and blood dripping from my hand and all kinds of stuff. He warned me going in, so I'm not fussing at him. I knew what I was getting into, but that cat, I think it's got a demon. <laughs> but dogs will look at you and love you and care, for, and just excited that you're there, all of that. But let me know, let, let me just let us in on something. Your dog's not going to rise up and rule the earth. Your dog's not going to clean the house even for you when you're gone. They can do a lot of things, but they can't do what we can do. No animal can. No aspect of creation can do what we can do. Why? It's not because we're special in and of ourselves. It's because God's made us special. He's given us his creativity, his energy, his authority. Think about what humanity could have done if we had never sinned. Praise God we'll get back to that in the new heavens and the new earth. 
We got that to look forward to. All the things that we've lost in, in, in the fallenness of humanity will be regained in the new heavens and the new earth as we are now back to where we were supposed to be from the beginning. So we're not even close to what we were. But praise God, God's never given up on us. He tells us here to, co- to, to fill the earth, to steward its resources. And so in this, God expects humans to, <clears throat> to develop a God-centered culture that reflects him and steward the environment to honor him. That's what this is all about. So as we think about this command to work, it's a good thing. Work adds value to one's life. There's nothing like the feeling of accomplishment. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like the feeling of, of, of designing and planning and strategizing uh, some sort of uh, plan and, and intentions and then seeing it come to fruition. That's what God's designed us to do. There's sanctity in that, in this intrinsic internal value that comes from, from being created in the image of God and reflecting that glory as we steward God's creation. There's a fourth aspect of this sanctity in that it can be found in the command to multiply that's given to all of humanity. He says in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's not just given to humanity. I want you to notice that. All of creation is to do this. The vegetation is to do it. It's implied in the language. The animals are to do it. It's specifically spoken of. And then with humans, it's commanded, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. How do you do that? You do it through offspring, procreation. And so everything in God's creation is commanded and intended to multiply and fill the earth. Eden was a place, think about this, of abundant life because our God is the God of life. Nothing decayed, nothing died. Can you imagine that? I don't know how much time went from Genesis 1 and 2 to what we see in Genesis 3 in the fall. It could have been day one. It could have been a long time. We don't know. Hundreds or thousands of years. There's all kinds of speculations there. But in the midst of all of that, Eden was a place of abundance. It knew nothing of death and decay. Only life and more life and more life and more life. God's command to all living creatures was simply to multiply. In order for Adam to live out this command, God gave him Eve, as we just mentioned, as a wife. She was a helper. Eve complimented him in every way. Where he was weak, she was strong. Where he was hard, she was soft. The two enriched one another through their differences. Biologically, they complimented one another. Emotionally, they complimented one another. Relationally, they complimented one another. There are many differences between a man and a woman, but all the differences are intended and necessary. They enabled the man and the woman to complement and to complete one another. They enabled the man and the woman to multiply. Sometimes we want to push back at this against the differences. You know, in relationships, many times we'll, we'll acknowledge that opposites attract. So if you were to line, you probably figured this out. If you were to line Kara, up, Kara and I up next to, to each other, we're, I was going to say diametrically opposite. That's probably a little strong. Uh, but we're opposite. You know, I, I'm an early riser. She's a late go to better type person. Uh, she doesn't know what 
morning is unless she has to go do something that she has to have coffee. I just kind of wake up, oh, let's go. Or, you know, I'm ready to go for the day. But you get me at 830 at night and I'm like, I'm dragging. You know, I'm like barely moving. I'm cranky. You know, if like kids come down and wake me up and fall asleep on the couch, I'm like waking the bear up type of cranky where she's wake the bear up person in the morning. You dare not get around her. Or She's probably watching last night or right now. So I need to be careful. She's home this morning. But we're opposite of each other. Why is that? It's because God knew what I needed. And he provided her for me. Tomorrow we'll celebrate 18 years of marriage. Poor lady. She's put up with me for 18, almost 18 years. Well, the image of God in humanity and this command to fill the earth through childbirth means that sanctity is found in this intrinsic and eternal value of the unborn. We're commanded to multiply, right? So we need to have children. We've seen here that there's value in life, that God is about life. This book is about life. So there's intrinsic and eternal value of the unborn that we need to be conscious of. We dare not deceive ourselves into thinking that what is growing in the womb, listen to this, what's growing in the womb of a woman is nothing more than a glob of tissue. Quite the contrary as we look at the Bible. What we see is that what is growing in that woman's womb is a baby. What's in the womb of a woman is a human being created and fashioned in the image of God. It's a person who, like God, will exist for all of eternity. You say, where in the world do you get that? From the Bible. We are created for eternity. That's why there's something divine in us. We will exist for all of eternity in one of two places. In eternal relationship with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Or in eternity separated from God in a place called hell and later the lake of fire. So every single person, every single baby bears the image of God. That little baby in the mother's womb is, is a person who, like God, will exist for all of eternity. We dare not forget that. There in that woman's womb is a little boy or it's a little girl. It's, it's a baby with a set of specific personalities, a specific set of characteristics. I listened the other day. On the Fox News channel, uh, Rachel Campano, I think's her name, but she has lots of kids. Her husband was a congressman in Wisconsin, and their last child, I believe, that they had, the the doctor told them, encouraged them to abort the child because that child was was registering it was going to be Down syndrome when born, and it is. But what they were saying just a matter of days ago, a couple weeks ago, were saying that they have been blessed through this child's life. They would have never considered aborting this child. Why? Because they understand what the Bible teaches, that life is precious, life is sacred, life is valuable, regardless of the characteristics that child will be born with. So much more than the term zygote and embryo represent scientifically. What's there in the womb is a baby. It is the growing, developing image of God. We need to be reminded of that. We are entering this week probably some of the darkest days for the unborn that this nation has ever seen. The liberals now have full control of our government. 
they have indicated that they will do everything necessary to further their agenda. So we should expect Supreme Court packing and all of those things. What does that mean for this issue? It means that they will put people in places who will do everything to further the agenda, which means the most dangerous place on the face of the earth, or I should just say, let's put it in our country, the most dangerous place in America is not on the battlefield in a foreign country, it's in the womb of a mother. So what do we do with all of that? As Christians, we have to stand for truth. We have to speak truth. We have to encourage truth. We have to do their, our due diligence to stand against those who are in control of government and, and, and make sure they understand where we are coming from, that we must stand for life. Why? Because life is present in the womb. And so it's incumbent upon us to protect that life. We should never abort it regardless of the situation. That's my personal conviction. I think it should be yours. Regardless of the situation, we should never abort the baby. You say, Pastor, if your wife was pregnant and there was a threat on her life, I can say today with 100% assurance from my perspective, not speaking for her, but I think we're on the same page here, we would say we're going to choose life and allow God in his sovereignty and grace to allow things to work out in his timing and his choosing. Who are we to take life? Only God can do that. We just read in Genesis about Rachel who gave birth to Benjamin and she died in, in giving childbirth there. God was sovereign in that as well. God is sovereign in all of those things. We must trust him with it. So we should never abort regardless of the situation. We should strive as Christians to educate others who are considering abortion. We should support organizations that do such, that, such a thing, that work to preserve life, like the Pregnancy Resource Center. And there in your bulletin, you see that there are baby bottles back here behind me in this hall that you can pick up. This is an annual fundraising that we do for them, and they're doing a great work across the metro area of not only helping uh, young girls and, and uh, ladies understand what this is that's going on in their body, but showing them what is happening in their body through ultrasounds and other things. They're doing a great work, and we need to support them and the ministry that they're doing. Not only are they doing that, they share the gospel and try to help these young ladies and couples who are in a crisis understand that God still loves them and God loves the child that they're carrying. We should also work through the legislative and judicial system to preserve life. I think I told you back in October or early November that my personal conviction is I don't think a Christian should ever vote for a politician who holds a platform that is against life. That if they're in favor of abortion, never vote that person in. It doesn't matter what their financial plan is. It doesn't matter what they, anything else they have as a policy. We have to stand for life. So as Christians, we need to make sure that voice is heard loud and clear through the legislative and the judicial systems that we're a part of. Why do we do this? Because sanctity is in human life. Humanity was specially created by God, him breathing some of his own breath into Adam. The sanctity of human life is not some over-elevated understanding of anthropology. It's not some sort of over-antiquated uh, over, um, type of men, man's type of understanding. No, it's rooted and grounded in what God has said about us. So 
Think about that. There's value in all of human life. So the young man who's struggling with self-esteem, what do we say to that person? What do we say to the, to the young lady who is contemplating an abortion, uh, killing the child she is carrying? How should the person experiencing gender confusion view his or her biological gender? How should the individual suffering from the ravages of cancer and, and contemplating taking their own life? How do we address these issues? We point them back to the fact that God is the creator of life, the giver of life, and life is sacred. All humans possess intrinsic value. We remind them of that, that the child that's in the womb has value, that that you who are confused because you don't know who you are, your self-esteem is low, whatever issues have led to that, it doesn't matter about those things. God loves you and you are valuable. That gender grounds and further adds value. So embrace who you are biologically. Life is all precious. It's the gift of God. It comes from the hands of Jesus, who is our creator. And the Bible tells us he not only is our creator, he's our redeemer. You know, I've mentioned Genesis 3 a couple times here. Genesis 3 is where it all went south. It's where it all went wrong. That's where the life that was in Eden now becomes a place of death. Death enters the equation. All of us are messed up. But Jesus not only is our creator, but he's the redeemer who came to die in our place, take the judgment for our sins upon himself so that we could have life and life, as Jesus said, more abundantly, eternal. That's who he is. And so this morning, what, what do we do as Christians? We need to pray for our nation. We need to be active within our community and within our state, within our nation on these issues. We need to come around those who are maybe in our families and our neighborhoods and our community and and encourage them and, and put our lives alongside their life and help them understand that God loves them, cares for them, and that they are valuable. We need to stand for the things that God stands for. This morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, That value that you're seeking can only be found in that relationship. There's nothing, I mean, work is good, but if you're just working for work itself to to have ultimate value from that, then again, it's a dog chasing his tail. You're never going to arrive there. I mean, you get to one status, then there's something else that you want. There's something else you want, right? Some of you probably played the lottery this week because it was astronomically large. You're thinking, man, if I got whatever it was, 750 billion or 600 billion, 750 million, billion would be okay, I guess. What's the difference, right? Uh, when you get to that kind of money. But here's what we know about that. It's not enough. All the things that you can live for in this world is never going to be enough. Only Jesus is enough. So we need to be found in him. Let's pray. God, this morning... Life is precious. Your word tells us that. I'm reminded of what you say in your word that that you take notice even of the death of your children. It's because life is precious to you. God, help us to view life through the same eyes that you look through. That we would see it's intrinsic, it's foundational value. It's eternal value. It's not just for 70, 80 years. It's for eternity.
Father, I pray for those in our community, maybe even in our church family that I don't know about, contemplating and maybe have contemplated and struggled with aborting their child. Perhaps some have even done that. God, I pray that you would minister to them. Help them with the grief and with the shame and with the conviction. God, I pray that they would find grace and forgiveness in you. Thankful that there is no sin that moves us beyond redemption. Because you love us and you care for us. Father, I pray for our nation, our state here in Virginia, who's lost its way. God, we are culturally walking in rebellion against you. We are shaking our proverbial fist in your face, daring you to do something. God, I pray you be gracious. We deserve the judgment of God. God, I pray you be gracious. Pray that we as the church, this church, every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, evangelical church in our state and around our country, God, I pray that you would shake us to our core. Pray that revival would begin to break out. We talk about it, we sing about it, we preach about it. Lord, we need it desperately. Pray that you'd begin to raise up individuals, groups within each and every church that would just simply begin to set their face to prayer, to seeking you. Every revival I've ever read about through history, that's how it's begun. It's not some movement where we put up a tent and we get to preaching and all that stuff. No, it starts in a prayer closet. It starts around campfires. A few guys get together, a few gals, and just pray. God, the only hope for Virginia, the only hope for America is for the church to be revived. Else we're going to continue to see this moral decay, this moral decline, this rebellion. God, it will lead to the end of America. Which, Lord, if that's your sovereign plan, we rest in that. Because our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is of the next world. So we realize that. But, Father, in the meantime... We pray that truth would abound here and that you would be glorified in how we reflect that glory. Would you bless us this morning? God, I pray for those watching, maybe in this room, the greatest need in their life is a relationship with Jesus. God, you've probably been stirring their hearts this week. You've been stirring their hearts this morning. I pray that you would just continue to do that until they say yes to you sing in just a moment. We're going to have a time of response. God, I pray that we would respond in faith and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. How do we respond to a message like this? Well, if you need Jesus, I would encourage you to come forward.
get you with one of our encouragers. They'll walk through the gospel with you. But for us believers, what do we need to do? Some of you, if not all of us, need to grab a, a bottle as you leave this morning. Fill that thing. The slide, I think, earlier says fill it with loose change. I'd say fill it with Benjamins, all right? Big checks. Fund this ministry that does such a great work throughout our Richmond area. Come alongside those in your community or family who are struggling with these issues. Let's be committed to what God is committed to, and that is the issue of life. Get out of our comfort zones. Walk alongside people who are struggling with this. That's what we need to do. That's how we should respond. So whatever God's laid upon your heart, you respond in faith this morning.
And then this morning, if you've signed up for our Connections class, which will be the next three Sundays, that's going to be right here in this worship center. If you didn't sign up, but you want to be a part of it, maybe you've been attending, maybe today's your first day, you want to know more about what it means to uh, to be a part of Red Lane, I would encourage you to stay. And uh, for the next three Sundays, we're going to walk through uh, what that looks like here. So just stay right here in this worship center and, and uh, you can resume and be a part of your small group in February. So they, they won't miss you. No, I'm kidding. They will miss you. So, uh, so I just want to make sure those two things were mentioned. But let's pray. Let's thank the Lord for a good morning. Ask the Lord's blessing upon our offering as we uh, go. Yes. See, that's why it's so good. It reminds me of stuff. Uh, so let's pray. Father, thank you today for your goodness to us. We're so grateful to be a part of a church that loves you, loves your word, seeks to live it. God, we're excited about the days ahead. Seeing around our country may be a little bleak for some of us. But God, when we look back at history, what we see in your church is that it flourishes when things are tough. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a renewed vibrancy in the local church. Pray that that would be true right here of those of us called Red Lane. God, we pray for this offering as we receive it this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to give to you, to just honor you with the first and with the best. No strings attached, no wanting something in return. Just God want to honor you and thank you for that. God, I pray you use this money for your glory around the world, for your glory right here in this community. God, we pray for our church family. God, I pray for Catherine Powers, who had surgery this past week. Pray you would continue to move in her life as she recovers. Pray for Ruth Wooten, who will have a procedure this week, that you would bless her, watch over her, care for her, protect her, be with her as she recovers. Father, we pray for Steve Bradshaw and his family, the passing of his father. Ask your comforting spirit to be with them during these days. God, we're thankful for the resurrection thankful for the hope that it gives. God, we know they, re they rejoice even as they grieve. Father, we pray that you would bless our small group time and fellowship and time we'll spend around your word. Would you just speak to us, grow us, develop us. Thank you for the body of Christ that we get to be a part of and how it helps us to grow in our walk with you. We thank you for all of this. We pray it in Jesus' name. God bless you this morning. You are dismissed.